With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. I'm Dave Selecki. This week we have Danny Eslick and Gary Semix on the program, but uh, first want to talk quickly about road racing news from Qatar. Unfortunately, we didn't have the MotoGP class as we discussed last week, but we did have Moto2 and Moto3, and very importantly, the one and only American representative, Californian Joe Roberts, went ahead and set a new track record at Qatar in uh, practice leading up to qualifying. Then he went ahead and qualified with the pole position. He had a great race. He was in the lead group till the final laps, finishing ultimately in fourth place. It was an amazingly good race, again, for the one and only American representative in the road racing series. So we congratulate Joe Roberts on his performance. It was amazing. The race ultimately ended, the Moto2 class, that is, ended with uh, Nagashima winning the race, followed closely by uh, Lorenzo Baldessari and Enya Bastianini. With Joe Roberts in fourth, it looks to be a great season. And now with uh, the off-road news from Daytona, where Pit Pass is, Tony Wink, what's going on in Daytona? This is the 79th year for the, for the Daytona Bike Week and the 50th running of the Supercross. And uh, so I was down there Saturday. Good day. If you're a Kawasaki fan, Garrett Marchbanks took the 250 win for Pro Circuit, Monster Kawasaki. And uh, it was kind of a, a, a sleeper show, in my opinion. I'm sure they did a better job on TV of hyping it up and the race and stuff. But it was just pretty uneventful in the 250 class to watch. And then in the 450, Elito Mac. We all knew Eli Tomac was going to win this thing. And there's, you know, I think he's one of the winningest. I think he's number that was his number four for Daytona Supercross wins. So that puts him in a, in a pretty elite group of people to have won that many races at Daytona. And you know what? There's no stopping Eli Tomac. When he gets on a tear, he's a beast. And Daytona is 100% right up his alley. Last night we were down in uh, down on Main Street, ran into to the, uh, the HRC mechanics. So Duff was down there, my buddy from Iowa. Justin Brayton's mechanic, Ken Roxon's, Kenny's mechanic was down there and a bunch of the guys. And we were just kind of talking about how Kenny felt about it. And Kenny was actually pretty stoked on his, on his ride, even though he knew he was going to get ran down. He knew he was going to get passed, which is probably what he did. But uh, what he did afterwards, I thought was pretty impressive. And he was pretty excited about it. He stuck with, you know, he didn't just lay down and take a second place. He, he st- stayed with Eli Tomac and did his best to hang with him. And I think that, says a lot whether Eli Tomac will say it I think it has it plays a a mental role for Kenny's performance and for for the fact that he hung you know to Eli that you know he didn't just shut him down and and you know unfortunately for Kenny um he's three points down now you know whoever they were tied going into that but you know now we're about halfway through the season I think there's uh I would not bet against Kenny Roxon. I think that he's, I really think, I really think Kenny is, is being smart about this series and uh, you know, where, where Eli has some off days, which will put him down. Kenny, if he can stay healthy, he's going to, he's going to, I I wouldn't bet against him for the championship. And did you see Kenny is no longer doing autograph signings or dealer shows or anything because he's, due to the coronavirus sign of the times wanna... yeah there was a, there was a blurb on the internet about the Seattle Supercross might be canceled and that's coming up uh, i think in april or really? uh, maybe later this month but yeah there's there's rumors they've already canceled uh, one of the MXGPs the Italian round in uh, well, Majoria so obviously the, Italy's yeah. being hit really hard with that over there a lot of deaths over there but and and then like you said PJ we don't a lot of the MotoGP guys 
weren't able to attend, so they just didn't run that class. But it's definitely not hurting the crowd down here. There's a lot of people here. I was wondering how it would be, and it's um, we pretty much shut Main Street down every night, and there's plenty of people out <laughs> spreading their germs. Well, alcohol kills the germs. So uh, well, that should take care of some I, things. <laughs> but, I'm not uh, drinking any, so I better get to it. So, so this year, Tomac's not had any of those implosions, you know, past years, past Supercross seasons anyway, where he's had those those rounds where just nothing goes right and he kind of gives up on himself. You know, I'd counter with, I'll play devil's advocate, I think he's a little mentally stronger in Supercross this year than than he was in years past. I agree with what you said, Roxon closing down on him and... Give, give him another lap. We would have had a battle right to the finish line. But I don't see Tomac doing those things he's done in years past where where it's really affected him if he's had a you know a tip over and it takes him 30 seconds to get up. You don't see that this year. You know, he just seems to be a little more in tune with himself. And not yet. Not yet. You got, uh, what, seven, seven rounds left, left in the right. uh, series. So uh, right. it's going to come down to the wire. And I'm, you know— I said this before, it's nobody who started their seventh season has gone on to win the championship who hadn't previously won it. So you got two guys in that same scenario that have a chance to win it this year. And they're, I think they're far and above everybody else. Webb's in there, but he's just had some bad yeah, luck. Yeah, speaking of so. Webb, I don't know how much they showed on TV, but he rode a really good race. He, he was, I mean, I think he finished third, but yeah. he, he killed it. He was doing great. I'm, I'm, uh, I wasn't exceptionally stoked on, on my you know, my guy, Justin Brayton, he rode around in 10th, 11th place. And what they, I don't think they showed it on TV, but, and I didn't even see it until a video of it last night from Trey Kennard took this video. I think it was Trey or something, but it was, it was on Duff's phone. Last corner by the start there on the last lap, Vince got out of control and, you know, he didn't mean to, but he crashed into Brayton and broke Brit top of Brayton's hand. So Brayton rode straight to the, went across the finish line, rode straight to the medic's truck. 30 minutes later, he comes out with a cast on his hand. No, so he's, no. he's in a cast, and he's he's racing this weekend, he said. So he's he's an incredibly tough rider. And it just, but that's what happens when you ride around in 10th level place. That you, you you can't avoid stupid shit like that because that's that's what happens in 10th place. You know, the guy that... Uh... The guy that really impressed me this weekend that that's really kind of hadn't shown up all year is Plessinger. You know, he had a great start, was battling yes. with those guys, and he finished. Yes, he looked awesome. He finished up sixth, and he's really not been anywhere near. He hasn't sniffed the front of the pack hardly at all yet. So right. it's good. And his he race was killer. He, but you know what? He's an off-road guy. He was the I think they called him the Grand Marshal or whatever of the GNCC yesterday. We went and rode up to that and watched. He was there, got to hang out with him for a little bit. Caleb Russell. So this is his last year. He's, you know, he's the factory KTM guy. He's announced he's going to ride off into the sunset. And I imagine he'll be a, some sort of a trainer or something, you know, stay involved after his retirement. But, you know, I kind of thought when he made that announcement, I kind of thought maybe he would just, you know, maybe call it in one last year, you know, the last season. He beat him by over two minutes. I mean, he straight whooped their butts. He is a competitor, and man. He he, he just was not winded. Down. Yep, his face wasn't dirty. It was like, <laughs> holy cow! You know, he's he's a he's a different animal than the rest of them guys. And 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 you know, like a guy like Josh Strang, who's running around, he got third. That's a really good day for him yesterday, especially in the in the Florida sand and stuff. All of a sudden, he's relevant again. If if Caleb's gone, I mean, like for a for a championship. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's two two events in a row where he's pulled a third, and he's and he's looked competitive. You got the Duvall out, and uh, you know those those guys not being there, so it, you know it certainly helps him. But yeah, Russell's just a freak. I mean, he he, he off road. He just he's just got it so dialed. After all these years, he's just. I gotta wonder what he's gonna do next. You know, after GNCC, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna try other disciplines? Is he gonna be like Sipes? Who, uh, by the way, I think he got uh, 16th in the Supercross. Did you see his uh, front number plate in his heat race? No, no. Oh, yeah, see, my, that's right. It my, had a, it had a picture of somebody on there. That's right. <laughs> I did see that. my sticker that I slap everywhere. I, I put it on his front fender, and I took pictures of it, and I'm laughing. I saw it online. That's right. So, uh, yeah. I got to tear it off, and his dad's like, leave it. He probably won't notice. See, it's I'm going out and races half the night with my my. I'm surprised AMA didn't yank it off. So, right so make, sure, and everything. make sure you get one of those on his flat track bike for this weekend. Okay. Yeah, we sure. got to see the Tony on there. 
All right, and then we also have some uh, MX2 results. Uh, Tom Vial from France uh, won, the, won that class. Um, it was kind of a uh, replay of the previous weekend. Renault from France runs, got second, and Yago Gertz in third from Belgium. So that series is kind of going strong. And uh, as I said before, Thomas Kier Olsen has not shown up. He's had some injuries, I guess, so he's kind of struggled away. So that's it for, for off-road and motocross racing. Move into the Pit Pass Trivia Question of the Week. Definitely keyed to our event coming up this weekend, the Daytona 200. Daytona 200 has been won by a father and then his son. Who were they in what years? One of our perennial favorites, one Danny Eslick, crazy fast guy and multiple Daytona 200 winner. As we're leading up to the Daytona, Danny, thanks again for joining us. Uh, what's your plan for this year? You got a, a somewhat of a, a new uh, setup going in, so tell us about her. Just looking forward to being being back in the Daytona 200. Uh, you know, we had a little bit of bad luck last year, and uh, just wanting to rebound and come back strong. And and you know, this year's got a pretty deep field in the 200. So looking forward to just having a big race at Daytona this year. And who are you riding uh, with and for? Let's start there because, uh, as we know, the Daytona 200 is a once-a-year, essentially a one-off race. It's not part of a greater series. So things for this race aren't exactly uh, like the rest of, the, of our national road racing season. Uh, who are you riding with? Doing it with Michelle Lindsay again, the TOBC Racing Bunch. It's really come together last minute, as it kind of has over the past years, but this one even more so. Than in the past with uh, Michelle having pancreatic cancer and and uh, having some you know issues there with with having to take care of her her health problems and you know racing was definitely put on the back burner. She's kind of stepped away from the racing full time as it is, but we've continued to do the two hundred and everything. Just really the ball started rolling. Um, Palm Beach Police Department jumped on board again and uh, applied as Medavina from Daytona Beach there and. Then I had Tulsa Power Sports here out of Tulsa that stepped on board and just the ball really started rolling and we ended up coming up with a bike and, and crew and, you know, here we are last minute uh, headed to Daytona. Yeah, Danny, and it's you're not the only one to say this. In the, in the previous weeks, we've been talking to uh, fellow competitors of yours that are on their way to Daytona. A lot of last-minute plans came together. The, the entry list continues to tell that story as people add to the list. Um, so you're not alone in that. Uh, and clearly, I would say you're still arguably a favorite given the number, your experience at Daytona and, and the team that you're on. TOBC, no joke, has, has been there a lot. They know how to win as clearly do you. Do you feel like you're still one of the heavy favorites? Because arguably you are. I'd hope so. You know, I know I've got a, a crew behind me that knows what they're doing. Everybody that's uh, going to be on board has done it in the past, either with myself or with uh, another rider. So there's the experience is all there. It's comes down to to the luck of Daytona. You know, sometimes it's good to you and sometimes it's bad. So hopefully it'll be good to me this year. And this race really has. Uh, I've always thought kind of played to uh, veteran riders. History shows that there have been a couple of instances where a young, newer rider has pulled something out of their hat. But I mean, would you agree, Danny? This race always seems to favor guys who've got a little experience under their under their belt. Arguably, uh, you know, a veteran racer. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I'd say my actually my very first Daytona 200 was one of my best ones for uh, until I won. I mean, my first one I got fourth in in like 2005 or something like that and then I didn't do anything do any good there until you know basically till I won. So, you know, it, it was a long road coming to the first win and then to just to stack a few more up back to back on top of it. It was, you know, it all happened real quick, but yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's Daytona's the only race like it really, you know, in, in the states for us and with the banking and the only one like it in the world. So it's with the pit stops and the strategy and that kind of stuff, it's definitely tougher for, for a young rider that hasn't done a lot of endurance racing and stuff like that to, to shine in it. Danny, you, you said this, this deal comes together last minute. Have you got other plans? I mean, you're also a notoriously fast and capable flat track racer, so we see you 
in our National Flat Track Series on a pretty recurring basis. Do you have solid plans for this season in that series, or, or have you got a day job, sadly? I do have plans, uh, but McGrain Racing stepped up, and they've got uh, a couple Kawasaki's I'm going to race in the production twins class with AFT and you know, with Moto America stuff, there's just not much for rides or, or anything like that out there. And, you know, I've always stuck to my roots with the flat tracking and, you know, never, never steered too far away from it. So it's, it's good to be able to get back out and, and do that. You know, it, it used to just be when I wasn't road racing, but now it looks like it's going to be a bit more of a full-time gig doing the flat track stuff. Yeah. And that class that uh, you're talking about, the production twin class is they're, they're putting some new focus on it. I think that's a good thing. Uh, it's, it's just opening up the paddock, right? There's more potential seats for high-caliber riders to get out uh, and showcase their sponsors and their own riding talents. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I do. Too. I think what they're doing with the other class is stupid, and it kind of sucks. I don't see the light in that one, but uh, <laughs> that's a personal opinion of, of mine. But, I mean, it is good for the production deal. I mean, the production class is kind of going to be one of the ones to watch now. There's going to be a lot of talent in there. So you're, you specifically referenced the Super Twins, you mean, Danny? Yeah, that's okay. where that would be at, whatever they're calling it. Yeah, Super Twins versus production, which is, you know, it makes sense. It's an affordable way to get into the into the series which, you know, certainly should help pump up the, the paddock a little bit. Right. Yep. And what, so what were you doing, Danny? Uh, did you, did, have you had to succumb to the unfortunate reality of a, of a real job or have you managed to put that off entirely? Oh, I just keep that put on the side burner. We don't want to mess with that now. <laughs> you do have, so you, you have managed to secure yourself a side, uh, a real job, one might call it. I stay away from that. I, I stick to racing motorcycles. It's uh, sometimes <laughs> it makes for a long winter, but Daytona can't get here quick enough. Yeah, so your arms feeling a little light. How many how many watches do you have already? And I know they've changed they've <laughs> changed it a little bit, right? Is it now only the is it the winner gets the watch, or are they doing one for qualifying too? Right. Yeah. No, I got the last one when they gave it away for pole. What two thousand and ten? I think it was, and then. The I got the first one, I believe it was for pole when they gave it away for the race win. So now that's just for the win. Gotcha. So you don't need a day job. You've got enough of those. You could uh, mortgage those bad boys. They're worth a pretty <laughs> penny. Uh, those Daytona Rolexes are, are are. That's money in the bank, as they say. Right. Yep. They should make you wear the watches during the race. As you gain them, then you just get heavier and heavier every every Daytona <laughs> right? race. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna have to split them up, two on each arm. That's, that's a that's a handicap system right there. So, are you? Uh, and I'm sorry, I don't know enough about the schedule. So, you probably you don't get to run Daytona flat track because that is only the uh, other classes. Or are they running this the, the production twin class at Daytona? Yeah, no production twins at Daytona. And and are there any other uh, AFT stops where that class is omitted, or is it everywhere but Daytona? Uh, I to be honest with you, I haven't even really looked at the full schedule, so I don't know. I I just go race to race. So gotcha. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is, uh, but whatever ones that that they run at, which I think is most most all of them. I don't think they're doing the TTs though, as as far as I know. Yeah, that's what I would would have guessed. Would be the TTs would probably be the ones you just pull back that class from but that's that's absolutely fine there's a lot of there's a lot of talent going into that class this year who i mean who are you looking uh, to be your primetime competitor or have you even gone looking that far is it all is it all about the bike and the team right now i haven't even really uh ridden a bike i got a few laps on them at springfield labor day weekend but we had some some bike problems and didn't really get any good quality laps so Seat time wise, I've never ridden the motorcycles yet, and we've got to, we're definitely gonna have some a little bit of a learning curve ahead of us. So, you know, but there's there's a lot of guys in it. There's a stack field of people in that production class. So, I mean, it could be anybody. You just you really never know. It's gonna make for some really good racing. Uh, again, I don't think what you're describing, Danny, is is abnormal. Much like the last minute plans at Daytona, I think there's a lot of teams that are relatively last minute committing to this uh the class and this season uh with aft but again i think it's going to make for some killer racing uh what's been the most memorable for you this past year if we if we don't talk about last year's daytona yeah you had a little bit of bad luck what uh what else did you really enjoy doing this past racing season i mean there wasn't a whole lot i i went 
did a Moto America round or did two, did Road America, which is always one of my favorite rounds to go to and did okay. Was, uh, was riding a Kawasaki there and got around pretty good on it for never really throwing a leg over the, uh, ZX six and then got a ride, uh, out to Motorsports 600 from at Moto America at Pittsburgh. And, and it was a lot of fun to just be back out there and just see the familiar faces and, you know, everybody that I've been traveling around the country with for the last almost 20 years. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a you've had a great career and uh, it certainly doesn't look like you're anywhere near done, Danny, which is great news for all of us race fans uh, who who hold you in such high regard. There's a lot of again, uh, this is what we do on a weekly basis is talk to professional racers and man, there's a lot of guys that are on the bench uh, that just it's startling. I really hope that, uh, you know, we see a turnaround in what's our favorite chosen sport, motorsport, uh, you know, any of the forms of uh, motorcycle racing. Absolutely. Like you said, there's a lot of, a lot of talent sitting on the sidelines just because, uh, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity, a lot of uh, rides out there and it's, it's tough on everybody. So, you know, maybe things will turn around and some uh, seats will start opening up. Yeah, well, let's hope so. I think, you know, going back in your history, uh, Danny, you, you had the uh, you were on the Jordan team. Now, what would it take to get somebody like that back into road racing? You know, we're always talking about guys on the bench. There's not enough teams to go around for the riders. How, do, how does the sport bring people like another Michael Jordan back into it to, to you know, to kind of pump the series up? Shoot, I have no idea on something like that. It's uh, that one's above my pay grade. I'm just a monkey that gets on there and rides. It. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what it needs. You know, we lost a, you know every year for for just the last several years. It's you lose a team here, you lose a team there. You yeah, lose, and it adds you know, up. Yeah, and it's down to you know down to just a, two or three semis, a handful of semis in the in the whole paddock is. You know, it's you just you see it over the last couple of years. It just kind of gone downhill, and it's a bit frustrating. Yeah, and it's not unique to road racing. Uh, it's it's the one that hits me the the most. But Danny, we're gonna wish and hope that this year goes better for all involved. Most of all, you. You've got the upcoming Daytona 200 just this coming Saturday. So. Best of luck to you. We want to give you a chance to thank anybody you might want to thank as far as sponsors and supporters along the way. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, obviously Michelle Lindsay and TOBC Racing uh, for always sticking with me and, and having my back and just everybody involved with our program, all the fans. And, you know, hope, uh, hope everybody makes it out to Daytona because it looks like it's going to be good weather and, and we know it'll be some damn good racing. It definitely will uh, be looking for our men in the stands there. Uh, Tommy Boy Halverson, who you know well, Danny, and uh, Tony Wink, both representing Pit Pass. They'll be down to your pits. I'm sure you'll be seeing them. They'll be coming to say hey to you. Awesome. I look forward to seeing them. Well, thanks for joining us, Danny, and best of luck this weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Hopefully you uh, get a good run out of her. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. This week's trivia question of the week on Pit Pass was, the Daytona 200 has been won by a father, then his son. Who were they and when? And the answer, of course, is Floyd M.D., who won in 1948, then his son, the great Don M.D., won in 1972. Don M.D. is also a very well-known motorcycle journalist in the industry, amongst other things. I bet you have a bunch of stories about one of those M.D. guys, don't you? I do. Dave. You know, it's. I always like Dave likes the story behind the story, and uh, you know, Don was he's he's from that era where where uh, when you raced motorcycles, you raced every possible discipline, right? You know, flat track, off road, road racing, hill climb, hill climb, you name it, they did it all, right? And he was on he was on one of the biggest road race teams in 1970. This is the year before, or excuse me, 1971, the year before. He won uh, Daytona. He was on probably one of the biggest road, road racing team efforts ever, which was the BSA Triumph teams. Which absolutely, when when you look at the list of names on that on those teams, it's Gene Romero. Oh, it's, it's absolutely yeah, the, the, stellar. The names of the, it's the, the riders. who's who of motorcycle history. You had Gary Nixon, Mike Halewood, Dave Aldana. I mean, including Dick Bugsy Mann. Yeah, yeah, that's everybody. right. Dick Mann was on the team. So. 
you don't get any bigger back then. And then a year later, Don's without a ride, and he gets a privateer Yamaha together and builds a race team, and he's riding a two-stroke 350 and goes out and wins the race. Steady Eddie just works his way up front, and by the last three laps, he was in the lead and, and wins it. And it, you know, as it turns out, that was Yamaha's first win of the Daytona yeah. Series. And it really marked the beginning of the two-stroke era, if you will, in uh, road racing. Small displacement two-strokes were quickly displacing uh, four-strokes. Yeah, and some of those bikes back then, they were, uh, you know, that that led into the era with Kenny Roberts and, you know, uh, Freddie Spencer after that. And, you know, it kind of, I agree, it kind of also put more of the U.S. riders on the map in road racing where they really started to make their mark. And the Superbike series started in the late 70s, and it all kind of took off from there. It was an interesting time, and it's, uh, yeah, it's fun to look back at that era because you're right, uh, it's 71, 72. It's easy to imagine a young Kenny Roberts was probably watching that race from home uh, while winning a whole bunch of races at places like Ascot and up and down the West Coast flat tracking. Yeah, and again, exactly. There's another rider that did all the disciplines, which is, you know, Watch the movie on any Sunday, and you and you get the vibe where anybody who rode a motorcycle back then pretty much did it all, rode every possible type, and competed at every level. Don was one of those stories, and Don's gone on to be a published author. He's uh, an AMA inductee, just one of those guys that you know he's done it all, and he's still in the industry, still writing, still writing some of the greatest uh, motorcycle books. If you get a chance, check them out online. Just uh, and really to meet him in person, he's just one of the nicest people. He's he's down to earth, talks to anybody. He does a lot of work with uh, companies like Parts Unlimited, writing a lot of their copy for their their monthly and quarterly um, print media. So he's still deeply involved in the industry. Yeah, and it's impossible to. Um, so I've never met him personally, but having uh, been grown up on in this motorcycle uh, addiction, if you will, reading magazines. Impossible to think of a famous motorcycle picture when someone wins a historic race in the United States and a fair bit abroad, if they were from the U.S., Don MD always ends up in that picture. There are <laughs> there, there are so many pictures of Don MD standing next to Kenny Roberts or Gene Romero or, you know, pick someone through the 70s and 80s winning a race and Don MD was quite often standing there. So he's uh, he's the Bill he's the Bill Murray of uh, motorcycle racing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, that is a fair comparison I, and it just strikes me that you know I've seen his name in print so many times cuz his name's always referenced in the in the description below the picture. Oh, this is so this is so and so standing with Don MD. <laughs> yep, and the industry's lucky to have him cuz he's just a wealth of knowledge and just a just a really great motorcyclist and great guy. All right, coming up next on Pit Pass Moto, we've got legendary racer and trainer to the stars. This guy's pretty much done everything in, in motocross and off-road, Gary Semix. <laughs> Gary, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, just looking down your list of achievements, it's stellar. 1974, 500cc Supercross champion. Now, we don't have that anymore, but you were one of the early pioneers in Supercross racing leading into your career of racing. Going back then, who in that era was your biggest competitor? Uh, Of American riders, at that time, it was Brad Lackey, Jimmy Weinert. Those two really stick out. Oh, Marty Smith, Danny Laporte. Galen Mosier, Rich Irestad, I mean, you know, there, there was a lot of guys at that time even that were very competitive. Yeah, that's a long list of, you know, famous and fast racers for sure. Now, I don't know when the AMA discontinued the 500cc class, but obviously Supercross evolved into what it is, 250cc two-strokes, and eventually I think in the 80s they added the 125cc two-strokes. And then you raced all the way into the 80s, if I recall. Yeah, in America, all the way through 81. And then for 82, 83, and 84, I went to Europe and raced the GP series. Oh, okay. And what class did you race in? Well, when I first went over there, I raced the 500 class for two years. And then the third year, 
I raced the 250 class. So a lot of those names you mentioned early on in Supercross, you were you were racing against when you went to Europe. Guys like Lackey and, and yeah, yeah, Lackey was still there. Uh, Danny Laporte, but he was racing the 250 class when I was racing the 500 class. Oh, that's right. Uh, Marty Motes was over there for a while. And so that that begs the question. Uh, I would say, uh, how was the GP? as far as uh, competitiveness in the early 80s compared to Supercross at the time? Because, you know, clearly that was the the home of motocross-type racing, and and it was well before Supercross became the de facto World Series of motocross. Yeah, yeah, that's very accurate. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, it was very competitive. It was a whole different type of track, really. Their tracks were very fast and rough they got rough choppy bumpy rough type stuff and then they had sand races that were super super rough 40 minute motos plus two laps which was the same as in america at that time where in america you know it's still that way today when Villapoto first went over there a few years ago he didn't know how to set up his bike and that was one of the things that really hurt him american americans probably because of supercross they get used to stiffer suspension. But I found out when I went over there that, oh, man, that didn't work over there, not on those tracks. And I got was fortunate enough to work with uh, Olean's at first and then white power suspension and, you know, got it dialed in. But, yeah, it was a lot softer suspension that would actually move through the bumps. Yeah, it's, it, you know, and it, and it seems like, it's it, you see it less often where U.S. riders are able to go over to Europe and assimilate and and merge into the series and do well. There's always exceptions to that, but I, it seems like to me, Gary, back in your area, there were more guys that were able to do it than today, or maybe less guys try to do it. That might be the might be the case, but in Villapoto's example, but you know, I, I always wonder why that is. Is it strictly the tracks, or is it everything else that comes with going to Europe? Oh, it's it's a big part of it's a track, but another big different types of tracks. But another big part of it is the culture over there. And you know, some Americans go over there and they can't adapt to living over there with so many different cultures and countries and all that stuff. But when I first went over, I was fortunate to have some people that I knew that got me in contact with the right people hired uh, a good mechanic and his brother worked for Graham Noyce and at that time well in 79 Noyce won the world championship in 500 class so he was still a top rider in 82 when I first went over and I got hooked up with with them and they really really helped me a lot I mean without them it would have been nearly impossible to do what I did over there so the culture is is big, big difference, and be, I don't know. Being from Ohio, it and knowing those guys, I just I really liked it. I fit right in. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I mean your success definitely shows that. You know, you've had great success over the years raising. Thank you. I have a personal story. I remember lining up at the racetrack. We went to Ohio International. I had just turned forty years old, and I'm thinking I'm a young guy coming into the class, and I line up plus forty gate. At, uh, at OIR, and the Suzuki pulls up next to me, and, uh, you know, gate drops, we all go, and that Suzuki just cleaned house. Well, that Suzuki was you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was my uh, my one personal uh, uh, involvement racing against you, Gary. I just remember you were the guy who, who just destroyed the class that day, and you con- and you continued to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, that, that was about the time I moved back to Ohio from living in California for like 12 or 14 years. And, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't stop racing, so, you know, I was racing the local scene in Ohio. Yeah, and, and that was uh, actually a really good era for that particular track. I thought we think that's when the, the Hand family was operating it, and they really had one of the best best racing facilities, I think, in, in maybe in northeast Ohio, maybe even Ohio at the time. Yeah, it was very good when the Hands had it. And now a different owner has it, and he has open practices there, and it's one of the best tracks in around in northeastern Ohio that I know of. And it's and it's good, good to see. That that track's got just a tremendous history. You know, they used to, well, mm-hmm. you know this. They had uh they had uh, motocross nationals back there in the seventies. 
Yeah, in 75, they had a motocross national. And when I was just a kid, just starting to get into racing, I must have been 15 years old. I remember that track and going there and racing. They had this, the reason I really remember it, just stands out. It had a really neat step up jump that back in those days weren't very, it wasn't very common. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that goes way back, man. <laughs> Gary, it was mentioned uh, clearly your work in this in the sport and industry has have not come close to ending. Who are you working with right now? I mean, are there riders that uh, that our listeners might be uh, surprised or not surprised that you're mentoring, tutoring, and coaching? Well, the two guys that stick out in my mind is Luke Fosner, who's an Orange Brigade rider. He's just starting to ride 85s now. He's won some championships at Loretta's and just is a super fast kid. And uh, the other rider is Gavin Towers, who just got a team green rider, Kawasaki, and he's also super fast. And my stepson, actually, is one of my certified instructors, started working with them. And now every summer, you know, they come and prepare at my track and uh, then go to Loretta's. And as far as other guys like, top name pro riders that you've heard of everybody's heard of is i don't really work with them anymore because ever since i got my own track in ohio i've kind of been a prisoner to that track i mean it it takes so much mm-hmm. work and track maintenance to keep it good you know and and for our schools that we do there so and going back through the history, how you've you've trained some some of the top racers in the sport when you talk about the Jeremy McGrath and the Ryan Villapotos. How did that come about for you? I mean, was that a deal where they approached you because they knew of your schooling or your school that, that you had going, or did you approach them? Well, with Jeremy McGrath, it was a, a connection through a guy that freelanced for Cycle News, and he advised me to get a hold of Jeremy and do a lesson, private lesson for him because he was, he looked like he had really good potential. <laughs> and I followed up on that tip, I contacted Jeremy's parents because he was only 16. And I went out and did a private lesson with him. And, you know, we kind of hit it off and stayed in contact, kept working together. And you know what happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously. That. I mean, that's, uh, and word of mouth is probably some of the best advertising you can have, yes. you know, yes, indeed. And when when I look at your website, Gary, it's just it's just loaded with content. I mean, you are the eight hundred pound gorilla of content for training videos. There, I think I counted thirty nine different videos on there the other day. That, and then you also have the downloadable side. I mean, hmm. that that's just outstanding. Uh, that anybody in the world can go on there and pull down training for whatever part of the discipline they wanna they wanna train on. How do you choose how you want to break it up, whether it's, you know, I'm going to do a video focused on body position or I'm going to do a video focused on, you know, corners. What, how, mm-hmm. do you, how do you decide to do that? Well, it's from the experience that I have through doing so many motocross schools and teaching so many different riders at different skill levels and understanding how to teach them, what how to communicate with them, how to break the techniques down so they're able to understand them and be able to do them. And then, you know, there's, I have a motocross practice manual that consists of what I call the 55 absolute techniques of motocross. And I need to update that because since then I've been finding more. But then when you break down the parts of those 55 absolute techniques of motocross, you you know, you come up with really hundreds of techniques and ways to improve and practice them. And that's how I, you know, make all the content in my videos. And you mentioned 39 videos. That's what I have available on DVD. But in my, for my streaming subscribers and downloaders, there is a total of 80 technique and training videos. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, I like doing it. And, I get so many good feedback, comments, and things like that from people that that thank me for it and how it's helped them and improved. And I just feel that's my part of helping this motocross industry continue to to exist. I mean, I want it to grow and get better and stronger, but 
you know, it's way, way behind the eight ball of what it was in the early 70s. And people that didn't live through that era don't understand, man. I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody had a dirt bike and were riding dirt bikes. And there were so many places to ride and they were affordable. And, you know, the sport grew so fast. And now I feel that it's been going the other direction. And I, I pretty much understand why, too. What, what do you think's the the biggest con- contribution to it kind of going the other way? Because we have this discussion on the on the podcast all the time, which is, you know, what's the next? What's the future look like? Where where are the next riders coming from? You know, what mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that, Gary? Well, it's coming from the cost of bikes, the cost of uh, and technology and maintenance, and the places to ride. And I don't know if the industry really understands coming from Southern California where you have a lot of top-level riders. The average guy out there that's purchasing, you know, equipment and motorcycles and all that stuff, their skill level, I'd say on average, is about a C-class level. Mm -hmm. They just want to go out and have a good time riding their dirt bike. You know, they don't have a – they already have a full-time job or or, or they're in school or whatever. And – they just want to have fun, you know. They know they're not going to be a motocross champion or anything, but they love to ride and they want to have a good time. And I don't think that the industry is catering to these people. They're making it more of a you got to have a rich family to get into it and do decent at it. I mean, you can produce new race machines every year for the people that want those, but why not continue to manufacture older models that guys can have fun on that are so much less expensive and easier to maintain and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I think that's the that's the conundrum the industry seems to be in, which is we want to offer the greatest technology, but how do you do that at an affordable price? And when the when the sport goes from blue collar to white collar, you, you're, you're bound to lose participants in some way. So how do you how do you draw in the blue collar guys? How do you offer that seemingly not equal but maybe almost as good as vehicle that's maybe it's an older model two stroke or or whatever at at a fairer price? I we've all had that same conversation around the table, which is if Suzuki would re re release the RM series motorcycles at nineteen or excuse me two thousand three prices, they might have mm-hmm. some success selling them. Absolutely. You know, because I go to a lot of, not a lot, but I, you know, quite a few uh, open practices. And there's guys out there that um, are below C class level or C class level. There's the majority of guys. And they're not really going to benefit from the top technology, you know, $9,000 four stroke. They can have, they can ride just as fast on a 05 RM250. It's a lot less expensive, less maintenance, and more people could get into the sport. And if we had more and better open practice tracks so they can go there and ride as much as they want and, and leave, you know, where if you go to a racetrack, you're there, you got to be there for sign up, you know, at 7.30 in the morning. And it's sometimes during the summer, you might not get out of there till 7 o'clock at night. Who has time to go do that on the weekend and yeah. ride four laps per moto? Yeah, and I tend to agree. I, you know, we've we've talked about that also, which is value for your money. And and practice tracks are really that's why they pack them in on the weekends because the cost is lower, yet the seat time is much. You can ride unlimited amount of time, really. Yeah, and, and, exactly. and that's kind of why we think the off road series is are, are are growing more because it's the same formula. You spend less money, you get more mm-hmm. bike time, and like you said, you don't need the high technology vehicle to have just as much fun. And it's 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 a it's a question for the industry collective, and I I don't know if there's an answer coming yet, but you know we like to think that eventually it'll come around to, you know, I, the pendulum is swinging maybe back towards uh, lower cost vehicles eventually to where everybody could get back into the sport and. It'd be great for all of us because I, you know, the heydays are are long over, and uh, we need it to 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 pump the sport up again. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and and to have these track promoters that are having open practices or racing, I don't know. It would be good if the AMA got involved and anybody that especially goes to a race needs to go through some type of motocross school training. I just saw an accident yesterday when I was in an open practice. There was a 65 rider out there on the track with everybody, big bikes and everything. He's going super slow. There's one long, big table. There's a lot of tabletops up there, and he crossed over on the tabletop towards the landing, didn't know to stay in his line. Sure enough, he got hit by a big bike. Yeah. It was ugly. And that's a bad formula for anybody, and we always try to ride safe when we're out there and look out for for the grommets going around the track. To your point, uh, I think you grew up through the area, or came up through the area where they had uh, high school motocross. Uh, do you remember that in the 70s? Yeah, I do. Yeah, but I don't know if they had that in uh, Ohio. I know they, not, well, I know they didn't have it in Ohio, but I don't know how much of that they had, but I know they had it in Southern California. I'd love to be at the sales pitch meeting when they go to the school board and say, here's what we want to do and <laughs> see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that would fly in most places. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Gary, um, w- what we want to do is uh, we want to our, – um, unfortunately, our time's running out here, so we always like to take the last few moments for you to uh, thank any sponsors that you have in your program and uh, talk about those people. Oh, sure. Yeah, Factory Connection has been a big help to me helping me get the right suspension settings. Uh, Maxima has always backed me. Fox Racing with their gear, Renthal Handlebars. Dunlop Tires has has been a good sponsor. And, man, their technology and tires is is amazing. They, They keep making them better every six months or so, you know. Let's see. There's Yeah, there's a few other ones. But I'm not used to getting on a podium and naming them all out. <laughs> That's <know>? okay. <laughs> no pressure at all. We just uh, we're 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 glad to have you on here and talk about you know the history of the sport and your contributions and and all the great things you're doing to train riders. You know it's outstanding. We're 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 really really happy to have you on here and you're welcome back anytime, Gary. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, anybody that wants to get on my website, just go to GarySummits.com. It's, it's my name, GarySemmings.com, and you can find everything from there. We do group classes, private lessons. I have certified instructors in six different countries, and, of course, all the technique, uh, DVDs and training and streaming platform. So it's all there. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate all the support from my sponsors and customers and you know, trying to keep the dream alive. All right, upcoming this weekend in the racing world, we've got, of course, the Daytona 200 this Saturday. That will be Central Time, 11 a.m., followed very quickly thereafter, 3 p.m. Central Time, that is, with the AFT uh, AFT race from the very same racetrack there in Daytona. We've also got Jerez World Superbike scheduled later in the month. Uh, that is March 27 through 29 that is scheduled, assuming we don't have any more uh, coronavirus-related interruptions to the racing that is scheduled. And unfortunately, yes, there was a MotoGP race that has now been moved to later in the year. Result being the next MotoGP race on the calendar will be here in good old USA, the GP at Coda along with our Moto America series. We'll be racing with them that weekend at Coda. What do we got in the off-road world, Dave? Oh, we got all kinds of racing coming up. We've got March 14th, we've got return to Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. That's Saturday night. And also the GNCC is this weekend in Washington, Georgia. It's the general at Aonia Pass. The last one I got to report here is the MXGP in Argentina is coming up on the 22nd. So far... No cancellations that I can tell. Right on. Well, hopefully it doesn't impact uh, other series like it has. Sadly, World Superbike and MotoGP both. uh, I fear there may be more complications. We'll see. I wanted to share with you, Dave, and our listeners that I found out how to watch the Daytona 200 live this coming weekend. It's available on the Internet. If you go to NBC Sports Gold. They have a thing called Track Pass. If you go there, 
you will find that they have um, one that pertains to AFT, our American Flat Track Series. DMG owns that uh, NBC Sports or is being broadcast there. So you have NASCAR options as well as AFT. For the low, low sum of $1.99, I was able to wow. purchase one, purchase one month of AFT coverage, and the Daytona 200 is lumped in with that track pass package for my 30 days. So I'm going to watch uh, some flat tracking for the next month. Again, very reasonable price. I would say. Uh, so I'm going to be able to watch it live. I'll be in Arizona at a Cubs game, probably watching surreptitiously watching the uh, – <laughs> The uh, Daytona 200 from uh, Cubs preseason game this Saturday. As we do, we sneak off to our phone and see what else is going on, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be catching the catching the AFT that afternoon as well. Uh, both of them. I'm I'm excited to get to watch both of those live. Well, there you go, full access and even at a fair price. That's that's a bargain at twice the price, I think. Yeah, and it took a little work to find that, thanks to the very knowledgeable uh, people on the Wera forum. Wera being the road race. Uh, National Amateur Road Racing Series. Big kudos to the the brain trust that is all the members there. They tend to get to the bottom of any motorcycle-related problem very quickly. Huge wealth of knowledge, and it was quickly determined uh, from my uh, perusing of that forum how exactly I might watch the race. So thank you again to those guys. We want to thank, uh, again, our guest today and you personally for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode of Pit Pass, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. That happens on Thursdays, as we know. And, of course, make sure you're also following us on Twitter and Facebook and pitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to Tony Wank for joining us on the news. To- contributor Tommy Boy Halverson and Ed Camp, Social media contributor Chris Bishop. Our producer Leah Longbreak and audio engineers Sean Rule Hoffman and Eric Coltnow. I'm PJ. And I'm Dave. We'll see you next week on Pit Pass. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.